Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Awesome Friday Podcast. With me again, as always, is Simon, and my name is Matthew, and we're going to talk about two new things this week, as we always do. Say hi, Simon. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Nice to see you again. It's been so long. I know. It's been a week. Um, and clearly, uh, I should really start scripting these intros, because I keep messing up the order no, and the word no, order, and it's just, it's just terrible. It's No, it should be uh, organic and full of flavor. Uh, I mean, I, it's it's definitely one of those things. Do you know what? Do you know what's difficult about these introductions is that we do the same thing every time we we set up for a podcast recording is that we chat for twenty five minutes. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now now we have to pretend that we're just talking to each other. And so um, one day we'll do like a, maybe on your Patreon the director's cut can be you just start recording the moment we sit down and they can have all the inane bullshit that we throw around. Before. It's actually not a terrible idea. It's really, really not, is it? Um, not, none of it is good. A lot of it is offensive, no. maybe. You know, it's... Only if you're German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is correct. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> good. So, <laughs> so this week uh, on the... Uh, you'll notice that I called it just the Awesome Friday podcast because this week we're talking about two television series, yes. both of which are from different arms of the House of Mouse the omnipresent Disney Corporation, uh, one on Disney Plus, or actually both on Disney Plus in Canada, and one on Disney Plus in the States and on Hulu in the States. We're going to be talking about the Book of Boba Fett, which just had its fifth of eight, I believe, episodes this week. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're going to be talking a little bit about Pam and Tommy, which comes out on the 2nd of February, uh, again on Hulu in the States and on Disney Plus Star in Canada. Um, but first, banter. How are you? Uh, more banter. I am fine. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've done all our banter. Um, that's, that's I'm okay. True. I, I have a horrible thing where I get to Saturday and it, it feels like air escaping from a balloon, especially in the morning. My son has soccer and my daughter has art class. And so by the time I get to like in the afternoon, there's this like decompression and, um, uh, it made me realize actually um, how much alcohol became part of my timetable at the weekend, mm-hmm. and how much how much I used it for motivation to get through the <laughs> the non-alcoholic parts of the day. Because I'd get to Saturday afternoon and think, okay, I've done all this now. Now I can have that beer in the fridge, and I still have that beer in the fridge because I haven't. Um, I haven't drunk anything this year, year yet because I'm incredibly stubborn. And on New Year's Eve, I joked to myself that I wouldn't be able to go without alcohol. And so I was like, well, fuck you. I'll show you. And so I just <laughs> I just haven't. And uh, I wouldn't say I feel dramatically um, different. I mean, I'm sleeping better. But um, I have noticed that like, when I sit down to play a board game or when I get to a certain time on a, on a weekend, a time that ends in like a number... I want a beer. <laughs> and maybe that's the problem with having kids. Like you use alcohol as to especially at the moment to offset everything. So um yeah, it's it's well, been how, a day. How long did you bet yourself you couldn't do without? Like how far how close um, to the end of this challenge are you? The problem is I'm so pig headed I didn't put a date on it, and that's a problem now because the moment I drink alcohol, the <laughs> the 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 voice in my head's gonna be like, oh, I told you. So yeah. now, so now I'm like, well, fuck you. Next month is my birthday, and I thought about maybe doing alternate months because I was drinking not not too much in that I was getting drunk every night. I wasn't. I was just drinking a little bit every night, which I don't think is good for you. I'm pretty sure. Um, newsflash: alcohol is actually really, really bad for you. And so, um, I mean, yeah, it is technically poison. I mean, sure, but so delicious. Um, a little problem I had is that I thought I would see a dramatic change in my weight, and I haven't. And that may be because I've replaced alcohol with baked goods, <laughs> like pretty. There's absolutely no, there's no scientific evidence to to, no. to back that up at all. And I work from home now, so I have no commute. I'm happy to be a hermit, and so I'm sure that factors into. But um, I tell you, I am staying awake during movies now, which is quite interesting. I'm not. Well, alcohol is also a sedative, so that makes sense. Yes, it is. So I don't know. You've been 
you've got way more experience than I do about this. Like, do you miss alcohol at all in any fashion? No, not really. I mean, I passed, um, this past November, I passed the eight year mark. So fuck eight years already. Yeah, so... Oh my god, we've known each other for ages! <laughs> Holy shit, we're old! Yeah, um... I think I've been dry for eight years, and I think we've known each other for 13 this year. 13 or 14 this year. Anyway, yeah. um, the point is that I've been dry for a long time, and um, that was absolutely the right call in, in my case. And... Uh, you know, occasionally I'll have like a pang for something like, but it's never anything. I never want to like, it's not like it used to be. It's never like I want to go out and get hammered. It's just that occasionally I miss things like, you know, a Hefeweizen on a hot summer day yeah. or, you know, a Vino Verde on a hot summer day. A lot of it is on hot summer days. I wish <laughs> like a, like a refreshing low alcohol drink. I do occasionally miss that. Yeah. Um, but otherwise I don't like, I don't feel like I felt i don't feel like i f- need it the same way i felt like i needed it when i stopped doing it mm-hmm. which is yeah. a very awkward sentence but no, it's, I, just, I know it's, what you mean. it's the truth so i um, don't know to answer your question i don't know when i'm gonna stop because i haven't set myself a date for it and oh so this is what i'm saying i i thought about doing alternate months because my birthday's in february i don't particularly want to have a birthday where i don't drink anything um and so I thought about, well, what if I just do alternate months dry? But I know what I'm like. I will then, in the drinking month, think, okay, this is my drinking month. Time to fucking drink. Like, yep. all of it. And it won't be normal drinking. It'll be, like, too much. So I don't I don't know at this point. I'm quite interested that I've, got, I've made it this far, to be honest. What was it, 29th? I'm fairly surprised that I've made it to the 29th. But I will my... say that uh, I have always maintained even in later years or more recently where I feel like it probably wouldn't necessarily be a problem if I had to drink again, that it is much easier to be a 100% off than anything else, than any other mm. version of that. Yeah, yeah. So, that's... Uh, yeah, look at us, adults. Adults with adult opinions and adult choices. Do you know what's quite interesting as well that I did not predict at all is that it's been really nice uh, not um, having to think about public tra- transit if I've had a drink and not being able to drive because I was, I never, if I was going to drive, I didn't drink a thing. And if I had drunk, I wouldn't drive. And so it's like going out to places where there's been quite a few times where I would have been in the position where, okay, I need to sort out buses and SkyTrain so I can drink before so I can get there. And now I, that's not a factor. I'm like, oh, I'll just drive. Like it's made like that much much easier which i'm surprised about you know what the the single biggest surprising thing for me was uh especially initially and i don't know if this speaks to the the level at which i was drinking but like a couple of months after i stopped drinking there was just money lying around my life in ways that there just hadn't been before because going out (laughs) and eating and in particular drinking is expensive and i wasn't doing it anymore i Um, i have a solution to that in fact, I have two solutions to that problem. Is one of them a limited edition <laughs> Nerf uh, M4-1 blaster from Aliens? Because that's already on order. <laughs> See, I haven't told my wife about that yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. My wife is pissed that we didn't get her one. Yeah, I know. But I, could only, but I could only order one at a time, so and then it sold out. I'm sure you can share. No. <laughs> It's funny, actually. I bought more. I bought more stuff this year than I've bought in like the decade before, and I bought two things, yeah. two nerdy things. I bought a Bluetooth Star Trek original series communicator, and I bought a bla- an alien, a Nerf gun in the style of an alien blaster. It's pretty great. I I feel a little bit responsible for the second one, as I did throw like multiple texts your way to to make that happen. To be fair, there would have been a. There almost was a third thing. Almost, I almost bought a third thing. There's a very gorgeous limited edition original series three-dimensional chess set you can buy from StarTrek.com, but mm-hmm. you can only get it from .com. It doesn't ship to the, ship to Canada. Ooh. So, I thought you were going to talk about the amazing Stargate bookends that somehow have mirrors and lights in them that connect to other bookends. I don't really know how that works. Those are, those are pretty cool too. That was a, yeah. a, a lot less dangerous than the Star Trek stuff. But anyway... <laughs> 
it's it's interesting actually that I used to buy a lot of stuff and talking to you about that like we were at Fan Expo one year and you talked about how you don't just you decide you just don't want stuff in your life anymore mm-hmm. and that was really interesting to me because I looked at the stuff I was buying and I you know all the prints I've bought from Fan Expo I haven't framed a single one they're all just under my um under my couch here and suddenly I was like maybe you did some um some Japanese cleaning lady like voodoo hypnosis on me because all I could see when I went home was clutter then all I could see was stuff everywhere it's like oh god I don't want all this stuff everywhere so um I I don't buy that much anymore either you did it damn you you did it you know me I'm very zen apparently (laughs) except for all the times that I'm hyper anxious but anyway (laughs) (laughs) actually I'm looking up at my Boba Fett helmet Next to my Darth Vader helmet, next to my Master Chief helmet, and talking of Boba Fett helmets, yeah, that's a that's a that's a perfect segue to talk about this new Disney Plus series. Well, it's not exactly new anymore; it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't talk about it when it premiered because it premiered on our sort of self-imposed Christmas hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and I don't believe Disney gave early access to anyone. No, uh, this is a good time to talk about it because we, we would have yeah. had nothing ready to say earlier. Yeah. Um, so the Book of Boba Fett is the latest in a series of Star Trek, or Star Trek, Star Wars <laughs> series from Disney. So I guess Star Trek on the brand. Do you know that um, this is kind of a golden age of Star Trek? There's going to be five Star Trek TV shows this year. It's It's quite nice because you guys went a long time not really getting much stuff. And now... You're not just getting loads of stuff, but you're getting really interesting stuff that Star Wars is not getting. More about that when we talk about Boba Fett. But I mean, you've got, you've got yeah. all kinds of things happening. Yeah, we're we're going to di- take a digression on to talk about Star Trek, because this is going to be a good year to be a Star Trek fan. Right. right now, we have on the air Star Trek Prodigy, which is on uh, Nickelodeon in the States and Crave in Canada. And it's like an animated show for kids, like around the same sort of target group as, say, The Clone Wars was. Um uh, Discovery is in its fourth season hiatus, and we'll be back soon. Picard is coming back for its second season. Um, Lower Decks is coming back for a third season, and has been renewed for a fourth later in the year. Um, and I'm forgetting one. Oh yeah, Strange New Worlds, which is the uh, the Captain Pike and Number One and Mr. Spock in the early days of the Enterprise, also debuting this year. That's five series. Picard is already working on a third. Lower Decks, again, is already greenlit for a fourth. Um, Strange New Worlds, which hasn't even premiered yet, is already greenlit for a second. Um, and Prodigy has been renewed as well. So like we are in like a real like golden age of Star Trek again. It's like being in the nineties again. It's kinda yeah. kind of a, and what's interesting is that they're all you can tell that they share a lot of the same uh people, but they're all very different shows. Um and they all have very different points uh and tones, and I kinda love it for that. It's uh who who owns who makes these decisions? Like, do, do Paramount own Star Trek? Yes, or, Paramount Paramount owns Star Trek. So, so they or, seem a they seem a lot more open to like experimentation with the license than say Disney does with Star Wars. Like, there's so many different things going on. I was really really surprised when um, I don't watch Star Trek Discovery, but between like the end of one season, there was a, a how how big was that time jump? Where they just sort of <laughs> at the end of season two, they jumped nine hundred and thirty years into the future. That, that's it, insanity. It went from being a prequel series to the original series to being a sequel to literally everything they've done before. Uh, that's a big fucking swing, yeah. By any on standards, and by all accounts, they pretty much pulled it off. I've heard very good things about Discovery. Uh, no, not pretty much. It's 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 great, and yeah. uh, and it's still. Um, very recognizably Star Trek, uh, which mm-hmm. is good. Even though, and the tech, the future tech is really cool. And they season three of Discovery was also interesting because they jumped forward nine hundred and thirty years into a time when the Federation was basically broken. Like the you know Earth, both Earth and Vulcan had left the Federation. The whole universe was uh, affected by this thing that happened. 40 years before they arrived called the burn that rendered warp travel dangerous. So the whole universe, they had to sort of, the whole season was them basically putting the universe back together. And it was really cool. 
<laughs> um, but and then for the people who just want you know more of the same, like the the you know who want the sort of classic stuff, we're getting Strange New Worlds. Um, Picard, I would argue, is actually so far kind of the weakest of them. Um, okay. But it's it's a very you know it, season one was a, a high stakes story, but with a very personal touch. Um, I didn't think it was a hundred percent successful, but it it was a big swing, and you know it wasn't a miss. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Star Trek Prodigy has been great, uh, which is about this group of basically group of kids who find a starship, and uh, through the course of the first season become a crew, and it's pretty great. And I'm going to tell you again to make your kids watch it because it is great. Is that is that the one with Janeway as a hologram? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. So basically, the they're all like slaves on this mining asteroid, and they figure out. They, fi- they find a starship, which is the thing they've actually been mining for. It's a long story. But um, they escape on the ship, and Janeway materializes as a hologram, and she goes, oh, my new cadet class, and then starts training them to be Starfleet officers. It's pretty great. And you know, the whole first season is them learning to be friends and a crew. Um, it's pretty great. And then Lower lower Decks is just hilarious, whether you're a, slaw, a dyed-in-the-wool Star Trek fan or not. It is the exact right level of fan service. Um, and they take... They're not afraid to make fun of themselves, um, mm. which is as evidenced by Lower Decks being as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Right down to... Uh, um, <laughs> uh, I can't remember the name of the species. There's a species that only ever appeared in Star Trek the Animated Series, which was in the 70s. That uh, they have three arms and three legs, and they and in this they've only, you've only ever seen them be bad guys, and so they have this really sinister laugh. And in Lower Decks, one of them shows up, and he's a Starfleet officer. And at one point, he says something, and then laughs maniacally and evilly, and everyone like assumes he's bad. He's like, "No, no, that's just how I laugh." <laughs> <laughs> Is, is it the kind of show like if I don't understand anything, any of the deep cuts, am I still going to enjoy the show? It sounds like it's something written for someone like you who knows all this stuff. I mean, it's definitely written for someone like me, but it's 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 just funny too. Like my wife is not a Star Trek fan, and she loves it. Right. You know, there's a great episode in season two. I think we might have talked about it before on here, but there's a great episode in season two where one of the main characters has been transferred from. Um, the main ship of the show, the Cerritos, which is a, which is a ship that specializes in second contact, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he gets transferred over to Captain Riker's ship, the Titan, which is a you know front lines action battleship uh, type situation, and in the middle, and everyone makes fun of him for having been on the Cerritos, and makes fun of Riker for having been like on the Enterprise D, which was much more subdued. And at one point, the main character of the show just gives this really heartfelt monologue about how like, yeah. Being in Starfleet really is about action and adventure, but it's also about science and discovery and ex- and exploring and thoughtful philosophical questions. And Starfleet is is the beauty of Starfleet is it can be all of those things, and it's like a perfect summation of like the universe that is Star Star Trek. And then like one of the other characters from the ship who's like an action hero is like, you know, I got into Starfleet because I love rocks. <laughs> <Just like. laughs> So yeah, it's 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 a good time to be a Star Trek fan. It's all yeah. I'm all I'm saying with this ten minute digression away from Star Wars. And that's very much like the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, it is, except for that the Book of Boba Fett is not very good. Oh, I sort of spoiled the lead there, didn't I? Kind of. I mean, but you're not wrong. Yeah. Well, Book so for 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 those of you who aren't watching the Book of Boba Fett, it is set. I'm actually not sure the time frame. The first scene of the show is Boba Fett emerging from the Sarlacc pit after Return of the Jedi. Uh, and he's stripped of his armor by Jawas, and then he's taken in by Tusken Raiders. And I didn't really realize, but in the fourth episode, there's a a line or two about he was with him. He, he might have actually been with them for like years, like years and years. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what the time frame is because because the most recent episode din jar and the mandalorian from the mandalorian shows up and he his story is at five or six years after the return of the jedi so he must right. have been with the tuscans for yeah five years or five, five years or so i guess yeah anyway the, uh, the, the story is told 
in two time frames. In one time frame, he's trying to take over Jabba the Hutt's crime empire, and in another one is set him during his time with the Tusken Raiders. And it's not very good. It's just not... I don't... It's... Uh, I don't know. You're the Star Wars guy. I'll let you yeah. take over for a moment. Um, so how do you feel about its terrible pacing? And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just a little confused by the whole thing to be honest because this the character that they have created like Boba Fett for whatever reason has always been a fan favorite because he just looks cool he's got really cool armor thank um the the Star Wars concept artist for that again Rick uh help me Rick um Baker reordering Baker no Rick no Rick Baker was the uh the, the other dude oh my god how could I have forgotten the Star Wars concept Rick McCullum. Uh, anyway, we'll be right with you after these messages. Ding, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ralph McQuarrie. Jesus. Oh, Ralph McQuarrie. How, okay. How the hell did I, was I like, get that? I was like, so Rick, is, who the fuck are you talking about? No, this is this is this is another example of Ralph McQuarrie. Basically, uh, everything you love about Star Wars came out of one concept artist's mind, and he they hired the best guy they could afford. And that's another conversation about concept art. And so he looked cool. I've got his helmet right here and it always gets good attention because it's a cool helmet. It's mm-hmm. cool armor. And he stands there and looks cool. And he's kind of, for me, he was always like the personal dark mirror of Han Solo. Like no one could catch Han apart from Boba Fett's the only one who can work out how to catch Han. And so for me, it was mm. always... Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. It was for me. It was always like this cool, silent dude in cool armor who is like a match for this rogue. Fine, that and and then he dies, like pretty unspectacularly. He dies, and I actually think I don't know if it was intentional for him to die in such a stupid way, but it really fits. Like, not just a, a fitting end for his character because he he thinks. He clearly thinks he's really fucking cool. So for him to die by getting hit in the back and his jets to go off and then get digested over how many years by the Sarlacc, that's funny. That's mm-hmm. a, that it, that subverts your expectations. Um, Han wins, even though he's blind. And, you know, when Chewie's like, Boba Fett, Boba Fett. So Han knows, Han wins. <laughs> like... So that is a nice end to that story. I'm like, oh, cool. I still love... The character from his like three and a half minutes of screen time and then as the years went by like oh Bev, like this like iconic bounty hunter I'm like yeah fine he's pretty cool whatever he's become now through him being revoiced in the special editions from his needless django bullshit backstory in the prequels to um whatever the hell he is now that whatever this character is for me, could not be further removed from the character of Boba Fett from the classic movies. It just, it doesn't feel like the same character. And every time I'm sure that, uh, the, tell me the actor, Tamara, Tamara Morrison? Tamara Morrison, yeah. Tamara Morrison has won many acting awards. He's done some pretty significant um, drama. He is, um, he did this movie called, oh, was it called Once for Warriors? Or was that, um, Oh, God. The years and years and years ago. Really impactful movie. He's a good actor. He, he is. is. He is not the right actor for what is happening in the book of Boba Fett because it is so flat. And this character, every time he tries to squeeze his back into the armor, it just feels like a fan cosplay event. It feels like really bad fan fiction. Where everyone's going, oh, let's make Boba Fett this super cool, like, he hangs out with Tuscans and then he takes on this biker gang and he wants to rule through respect. And, like, this doesn't feel like Boba Fett at all. And the character that they have created is, uh, the whole thing is just so boring. And the, um, the you, I think you mentioned the pacing is off. Like, I don't, the, the writing and the pacing is extremely weird and flat and honestly i was watching this at the same time as the expanse and it's kind of embarrassing for boba fett to have these two shows running side by side and there's some 
shared themes and in, in that the, they try to do a bit of politics they try to do like negotiations instead of fighting and that's really the expanses thing and just the depth of the writing and the direction and the action is just not there at all there's one interesting episode where they go hard into that wild west metaphor and the tuscans are, are representative of the native tribes and reclaiming the land and all this as well um, but every other episode, save one, has been uh, completely unremarkable for me. And I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I should be lapping this shit up. But, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to just jump in and say that I, I disagree with you on one sort of fundamental point ooh. that you've made. And that is that this version of Boba Fett doesn't feel to me like a different character because in the original movies he wasn't a goddamn character he was a suit of armor who stood there he has about six lines of dialogue one of which could be generously construed as talking back to darth vader and otherwise he's a cool suit of armor and a cool ship and doesn't really have much to say and then he dies unspectacularly i think that the setup of the series which through the first four episodes and i'm going to assume you've watched them dear listener sorry if you haven't um by it becomes clear that the reason he's doing what he's doing in trying to take over Jabba the Hutt's crime empire from Bib Fortuna um, is because he's realized he can't really exist on his own properly. He can't really make it the way he wants to make it um, on his own. And I think that's sort of borne out by... Um, as much as I hate to drag other areas of the canon in, because I think that's a terrible concept now, but like he was a, he was a whiny kid in Clone Wars as well. Like he's just, he's not, he's never been that interesting to me, but I think the realization of having been like unceremoniously dumped into the Sarlacc pit and come out being like, maybe I shouldn't be a badass loner anymore is really interesting. It's just really poorly executed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that the way they decided to structure the show with some of the episodes taking place in the, quote, present and some taking place in the past, which can be a very effective way to do a show. You have your you know, your past timeline influence or be relevant to what's going on in the present timeline, but it just hasn't been that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of think that all of the flashback stuff should have just been the first three episodes. Oh, God. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Every time he got into the bloody back to tank and it does the Wayne's World... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just like, oh, my God, another protracted like flashback. I don't care. Like, start start. If you want to tell that part of the story, tell that part of the story and then take me to where he is now. Don't just keep cutting back. And they're not doing anything interesting with it. Like... Lost, for example, would use things like that to reveal story elements that fit into things we already knew as revelations. And it has nothing to do with anything. It's so boring. Well, and also, like, not for nothing, but the the Tusken Raiders, I actually thought, you know, uh, even the slightest dive into their culture was super interesting. But then they were unceremoniously slaughtered, you know? Like... (laughs) um, it's, it doesn't doesn't really work the way they've set it up. I, and like I say, I kind of just wish that all of the flashback stuff had just been the first couple of episodes. So by the time you get to episode four, when he, you know, he's had his experience as a lone bounty hunter, which ended up with him in the Sarlacc pit, and then a few years of living with the Tusken Raiders and learning that like you, sir, you can function and survive better as part of a tribe. So by the time he says that after they've all been murdered on him or murdered out from under him, it has any amount of resonance and it just mm-hmm. kind of doesn't. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it doesn't make sense. And I mean, once he says that it sort of makes sense what they were going for, but then it just becomes frustrating because they didn't land it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. so full spoilers here again, sorry if you haven't watched it, it's not great, but obviously if you're a star Wars completionist, you're going to watch it. But the most recent episode from this week, episode five, is called The Return of the Mandalorian, and it is all about Din Djarin, and it catches up with everything he's been doing since the end of season two of The Mandalorian, and it is a far more interesting episode. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, 
it accomplishes more character growth. It accomplishes more uh, plot setup and execution than any of the episodes to do with Boba Fett at all. And Boba Fett doesn't even appear in this one. And it, I said this on Twitter, but it kind of feels like it was put in there just because the producers were like, and to be, to be clear, I know this isn't the case. This stuff is decided and shot like weeks and months in advance, but it almost feels like they put it in there just to be like, hey, remember this other better show that we do? You know, you know what I'm saying? Can you, you're not yeah, reacting. No, I'm, I, I have many thoughts about the most recent um, episode. Sorry, no, I've also got a really bad habit of interrupting people when I'm excited when I want to say something, so I'm trying to keep a habit of That's that. fair. <laughs> but I, um, I, I, I was thinking a lot about the most recent episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who has done lots of direction in some other parts of the show. And what struck me about this this episode, not, not just that everything about The Mandalorian is more interesting than Boba Fett at this point, and the more significantly, the pacing of this episode was so different to everything else that's come before it. And it felt incredibly deep. There was some really interesting camera work. There's a really good single shot as Mandalorian's going to claim his bounty. And he, he takes an elevator into the den and out again. It's all done as a single shot. And there's some really deep like world building done just through visuals. And... Mm-hmm. It's not rushed. And I mentioned to you, actually, when we watched some of the other episodes, I think there's one episode where I texted you, I love Robert Rodriguez, but he is not the right man for this job because it was so superficial. It was all like pretty mediocre action, like uh, superficial uh, emotional buildup, um, really bad line delivery. And I just, I don't think he was the right person for the job. Favreau, I think, is, is hit or miss with his writing. But what I felt about The Mandalorian is that I don't know. I don't want to say like, oh, a woman was directing, so we got proper emotions. But that is what happened, was, though. A woman is directing this one episode, and suddenly we had emotional resonance. We had time. We had focus. We had um, a hero who actually gets injured. I kind of love that he got hurt and had to kind of work through that. I like my heroes getting hurt, right? And yeah. and that and I uh, I didn't say this to you actually, but this episode of The Mandalorian is the first time I openly gasped watching a Star Wars in about seven or eight years. Like I think since the last, since time, the last Jedi probably. <laughs> last Jedi, but um and I don't know which was more recent. Which came out more recently? Was it Rogue One or um Last Jedi? Last anyway. Jedi, I think Last Jedi was after Rogue One. I'd have to look it up, though. So, yeah, the, the gasping of Rogue One, but also the beginning of... Uh, sorry, the, the fight in Last Jedi, but the beginning of Rogue One, where there's no crawl, it just cuts straight to the planet with that amazing opening, uh, you know, sting by Michael Gear Giacchino. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but when he is taking his, like souped up Naboo Starfighter and she's like, just take it up. And he goes up and the camera tilts like 45 degrees and he just pumps this thing and it goes up through the air and up through the sky and it just sticks with him. Mm-hmm. And the camera just sticks with him. There's no like flashy cuts. There's no hyper editing. There's no sweeping shots. It just sticks with him as he goes up into the sky. I was like, oh, gasp. Yeah. And then I, I was like, when's the last time I gasped at a Star Wars you know, it, it's lost its ability to do that. And so I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say, oh, it was a woman's touch, but maybe it was. Like, it was so much better than I, anything else in Bubble Fett. I think it was a number of factors. I don't think that... I think that having Bryce Dallas Howard on, who's turned out to be an excellent director, just like her yeah. father, yeah, she's brilliant. was a big help. Um, I think that the episode benefited a lot from the fact that it just structurally from a writing point of view, it structurally was better. There's a Mm. much more straightforward story with a much more straightforward goal uh, and a much more straightforward points that it wanted to both hit and make. Mm. Um, And, you know, as much as we're kind of crapping all over Boba Fett, I kind of, I kind of feel bad for the show because the Mandalorian exists. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? Like, what were they going to do? Do another bounty hunter show? Like, just have two two shows with the guys in cool armor hunting down people at the same... Like, you can't do it twice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I have this, so like, I have no idea if this is true, but I have this thought in my brain that, like, all along the intention was for... Din Djarin to be the first two seasons of The Mandalorian and then for The Book of Boba Fett to be season three, not a separate show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, but then Din Djarin got super popular and they were like, well, we can't just stop showing him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, the short answer is I, I, don't, I don't know. The whole thing is a bit confused is probably the wrong word, um, but it, it does feel like a really unfair setup. I don't know. I, I, I think the setup, like you made a really good point that it's, it is really interesting for this bounty hunter to have a flash of morality and, and to have a basically a late midlife crisis. Should I be going around the planet, the universe and killing people anymore? Um, but it's, they, the writing and the direction doesn't have the ability. It doesn't to, show that. Yeah. To even portray what they, what they're trying to portray. Even when it gets to the point where he literally says, "I'm tired of working for idiots who are going to get me killed," <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, you know, it's. Uh, I feel like all of those themes are good ideas that are just not being executed very well. Ming Na Wen is great, though. I mean, she's always great. Even yeah, but even her her dialogue's a bit rough too, though. I mean, yeah, every, I mean, every every line of dialogue is so flat you could you could uh, build on it. But and and let's not talk about the terrible CGI. Um, Fet. No, no, no. The, the, huts, the, huts, the, huts. the two hut twins. Oh, yeah, the huts who show up and say, we are going to take over. And then the next episode, they're like, actually, we're going to peace out. Here, have a rancor. Um, bye. Yeah. That's bye. like their whole arc. That's literally their whole arc. Yeah. yeah. But it's not good. It's not good. And I do, it's... I do wonder if it's going to get better. <laughs> not just, not just because, you know, Din Djarin is now back in the show. Um, but because it feels like the flashbacks are over and they have a much more straightforward story they want to tell, I think it could get better. I don't think that excuses the first four episodes of the yeah. show being not good. Um, but I think it could get better. I think it could end well, right? It could be redeemed, it could be at least partially redeemed by the ending. And I hope that it is. I honestly hope that it is. Yeah. Um, but there's mm-hmm. already the other thing is that, I mean, and I'm sure that Star Trek fandom is like this too. Because every internet-based fandom is like this, but there's already pretty rampant speculation that, like, so at the end of episode five, Dinjarin agrees to come and help Boba Fett with his problems on Tatooine, but he says, "Not before I go visit my friend, mm-hmm. my little friend." Obviously, meaning Grogu, but he's been struggling this whole episode with the dark saber, which he now wields as of the end of season two of The Mandalorian, and. Grogu is with Luke Skywalker, and so now there's all this fan speculation that he's going to learn to use the Darksaber from Luke Skywalker. And I just don't. Mm. I just don't want to see that. Not, not, not everything needs to be connected, you know? Like, it's... Uh... I, I certainly don't want to see any more terrible de-aging CGI that, that um, could be like just employ Sebastian Stan. You've already got him on the books. He looks identical to Mark Hamill if you give him the right haircut. Get him to play Luke. Or get get someone who looks a bit like Luke to play Luke. But stop having terrible CGI and expect us to be fine with it. Yeah, that's also true. But now I'm with you. I don't. I don't want him to learn from Luke. I don't want him to see anyone that I've met before. I want new. I want to see new people. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want him to, uh, you know, because he did get one sort of lesson from the armorer, and I, I do kind of want him to just have a revelation and figure it out. I think that'd be more impactful. Although I will say, I and to go into like again into like spoiler territory, but so in this episode, at one point. The armor asks if he's ever removed his helmet, and he's forced to answer yes because he's, you know, honor bound to say yes. And they expel him from being a Mandalorian. And at that moment, <laughs> and granted, this may not be clear if you didn't watch like Clone Wars or Rebels, um, or even just like remember the episodes with other Mandalorians from season two. But like, I kind of wanted to be like, so it actually turns out this group of Mandalorians is like. A fanatical cult version of it so maybe i'm cool with this you know like 
and then take off his helmet and be like, oh, God, just crack his neck yeah. and walk away. <laughs> yeah. Because I do, I do still think, as much as I love Pedro Pascal, that him not being able to show his face is a hindrance to the show in general. But, you know, that's... Uh... I don't know. I think there's a practical aspect. I said this to you last week. Like, the longer they keep him under that helmet, the less time they actually have to get him onto a set. Like, that is a whole new kind of worms, having to get Pedro in that suit and going through all the COVID testing just to get him on set to actually be there instead of John Wayne's grandson doing all the legwork. Mm, true. But I appreciate that that's what they would do. Mm-hmm. So anyway. how many, do you know how many episodes are in this to- in total? How many more do you have to look forward to? Uh, I believe that there are three more. I believe it's a series of eight. Right. Uh, and the most recent one was five. Um, Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's true, and that's also very Disney. A lot of Disney, Disney Plus yeah. stuff is. Um... Oh no, it's seven. There's two more. Sorry, it's, it's seven. Uh, so there's just two more to go, uh, and I imagine that they will, you know, wrap up the gang war that's been slowly building in in the show. Yay! Yeah, I mean slowly building and that he's pissed off a gang and that he'll just eventually just kill them all or find a negotiated peace or some such. It's not really relevant. Um, It's just more of the same stuff, but just to get it on the record, I will say, I do think the teenagers with body mods are pretty cool. And I do like that they ride effectively Vespas, brightly colored Vespas. (laughs) And to be clear, I thought that their super low speed chase through the streets of Tatooine was really poorly executed. But I think they as characters in particular are super interesting and a welcome change. There's something different than all the grays and blacks and browns and, you know, sandblasted greens that is the rest of the show. (laughs) That chase, though. That was bad. Yeah, a lot of the action in the show is not good. Oh god! And even this, even the ones that are good, they stand out not because they're good, but because they're just not bad. But then you've got the problem again of the first five minutes of the Mandalorian, where he goes to collect this bounty and he gets ganked by a ton of people, and uh, you kind of forget he's got the dark saber. There's a fantastic fight scene of him slicing up people like properly slicing people you haven't really seen before with the dark saber mm-hmm. and it's brilliantly shot and the the lighting is incredible and so again i'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't Im- intend for this episode to really expose how bad the rest of it was but that's what's happened yeah well well sure we'll hear all about it when we get through the next two episodes Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good place to <clears throat> yes. move on from something we didn't like to something that I at least did. Um, Pam and Tommy is a eight episode miniseries coming to Disney Plus, uh, and it tells the story of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee and their turbulent marriage and the subsequent release of the of their sex tape, which, if you were alive in the nineties, was a huge <laughs> deal. I do remember, like a huge cultural moment um that basically destroyed her career (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and uh this episode uh, this uh, series is a very interesting and well-constructed retelling of that saga i thought what uh so i've seen all eight and i believe you've seen the first three right yeah yeah you seem a little more ambivalent about it than i do i just don't care I the the I'm I've watching you can tell it's it's well made the it's worth noting that Lily James like you can't imagine how perfectly she is doing Pamela Anderson until you watch this and it's not just she's clearly being augmented in all the right ways if you know what I mean and the hair and makeup is very people very are, precisely good people are going to win awards for hair and makeup for this show because but, uh, she looks exactly like Pamela Anderson it's uncanny Lily the reason she looks so much like her is that she has clearly studied the way she talks on a molecular level mm-hmm. she does this little thing with her lip that Pamela Anderson does which on, on one side of her mouth she has a slightly higher upper lip than the other side when she talks it's almost like a little sneer 
and she is replicating that so perfectly it's it's incredible like she is um she is really nailing Pamela Anson. Right. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> are we still are we still doing phrasing? Are we doing Sorry, phrasing? I don't know. In Judges? my in my head, right. maybe my head is still in the nineties. But there's a there's um I've seen Lily James in, in lots of things. I like her a lot. She's quite unassuming. I watched her recently in um yesterday we rewatched again, which I, I recommend you see. It's quite funny. And she's she's very down to earth and she's very natural and she's very normal and same in um baby driver as well mm-hmm. and her to see her transform herself physically on a body language level um there's a uh, an episode where she goes to cancun and she arrives in the hotel and she's checking in and she's meeting all the syndicate these creepy horrible disgusting men who are leering at her who are these like syndication bosses i'm english so i don't really know how syndication works but i i get the general idea that mm-hmm. these are important tv people mm-hmm. um and uh, her body language, like the camera is really close up on her. Uh, it's a shot reverse shot. And everything about her is just confidence and uh, in the character. There, you can't see Lily James. Yeah. And it's not, it's not because of the augments and the hair and makeup. You can't see her. Uh, she is just so spectacularly, you can tell she's studied the body language and she's like completely transformed so she she should win stuff for this um, yeah and i mean yeah you talk about people sometimes talk about an, an actor who can disappear into a character and this is a good example of that and i believe i fully believe it would be true without the hair and makeup as well yeah like and it's not in, it's not just the hair and makeup yeah and her accent's great um, yeah she it doesn't slip i mean to be fair as well i'm her accent I, is actually shockingly accurate British Columbia, which is yeah, super, yeah. super weird to to yeah. hear on screen, to be totally honest. Yeah. Just the yeah. tiny little like inflectional things yeah. that you hear if you're like happen to be from Vancouver Island, which you know I am. So, um, <laughs> uh, or basically am. And uh, she's she's just so good. Um, I kind of wish you'd had time to see. Well, I wouldn't be allowed to talk about it, but I do. I do hope you keep watching it because it, the show only gets more interesting. Um, right. I think the first three episodes are all premiering together, and I think that it wouldn't. I don't think it would work if they didn't. To be totally honest, because the first episode centers on Seth Rogen's character, who is this construction worker who, in the episode, in the first episode, is working on Tommy Lee and Pamela's mansion. And he's treated really poorly to the point where he's fired and stiffed for like 18 grand on the bill. And he, he ends up stealing what he later finds out to be um, the sex tape and releases it as a way to both make money and get back at them. And that episode kind of feels like it's just going to be the show you worry it might be where it's going to be, you know, um, Tommy Lee is a douchebag. Pamela is kind of vapid they treat him really poorly and it makes it seem like maybe that's going to be the whole show that they're assholes getting their comeuppance. But in the second episode, it switches to Pamela in particular's point of view. And it makes clear that they're far more complex people. They're actually people. Um, they have very, compl- very complicated, weird, turbulent, but incredibly passionate and shockingly sweet and loving relationship and they're not the people that you would assume. Like they're not the uh, just the vapid celebrities that you would have always res- assumed from their media coverage. Mm-hmm. And the show makes it. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a hundred percent sympathetic, but it's very much on Pamela's side. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and makes it very clear that like this this event did not ruin her life because she's still rich and famous and had acting gigs, but like it didn't do her any favors in the nineties. She became known for this one thing and it kind of destroyed her image at the time. And she never fully recovered. Yeah. Which is true as a person who lived through the nineties. That is true. Yeah. I don't think she was necessarily ever going to be 
uh, there's an episode where she says that she wants to be like Jane Fonda, you know, a sex symbol who also cares. And I don't know oh. that she ever would have achieved that, but oh. she never had the chance because of the sex tape. <laughs> yeah. And it was a, a pretty flagrant and gross invasion of their privacy which is what's really interesting is that like you think about the culture we live in now with the tmz's of the world and like that kind of thing is shockingly and upsettingly normal but in 1995 it was not normal like mm-hmm. you know anyone who's younger than us may not fully realize how not normal it was for a celebrity sex tape to be out in the wild mm. It's super weird, and it wasn't that much longer, that much later, that like Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton wrote sex tapes to new highs of fame. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's I, a great line at the it's either the end of the first episode or the beginning of the second. I can't remember which, where Seth Rogen's character is showing the tape to his friend, who's a porn producer played by Nick Offerman, and that and his character's name is Uncle Milty. He's a real person. And, and um, he says, this feels like something that we shouldn't be seeing. And that's what makes it so fucking hot. Like, and it's sort of like a perfect encapsulation of what's going on in the show, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so I really like the show. I think that Lily James is really great in it. I also think Sebastian Stan is pretty much perfect as Tommy Lee. He's the, he's the perfect combination of passionate loving but dim-witted and a douchebag mm-hmm. you know he's the kind of guy who if he was your friend you'd be like you'd be like why are you friends with that guy and you'd be like well he's an asshole but he's my asshole you know like <laughs> it's it's uh it's he's he's the perfect version of that i think he's doing some career work in this show yeah um and seth rogan is also incredibly compelling as the sort of very intelligent but ultimately disaffected defeated sad sack character as well Mm -hmm. and it's not unsympathetic to him exactly but it's also not sympathetic to him (laughs) you know it's it casts it casts everyone in gray in ways that it needs to to be effective Mm -hmm. the it's i i mean it's worth saying as well i've seen sebastian stan mainly in marvel stuff i don't i don't really like him in in the marvel stuff i think I don't find his portrayal of Bucky that interesting at all. And so it's quite nice for me to see him do something where he's obviously way more, he's given way more leave to, to be more independent as an actor. And I think he, he has really impressed me. But the problem is he's impressed me playing. I, I can't verbalize how much I want to throw his Tommy Lee out of a window head first. Like I can't, stand to even be in the same room as whoever this person is it's like kind of the, the point though <laughs> well, I, get, I know and he's super good at it but i i think i my problem i don't maybe problem is the right word i'm not connecting with the show because i don't find anyone in it to be interesting or subtle in any way it's like everyone's really brash i i am going to keep watching because i think i i should give it the fairness of watching the whole thing but at the moment there, there's no subtlety to any of the characters or any of the story at all. So like, having... everyone's hang on, hang on, wait, wait. Yeah. everyone's like extremes, and I'm not finding that interesting to watch. And especially when I, I hate Tommy so much, I'm really impressed with some of the performances. I actually did not think Seth Rogen could do a a, a, a quieter performance. Like he hasn't he hasn't done his trademark stuff at all. In fact his character is super weird and clearly like is missing a few things and, and it has some sociopathic tendencies, but um, so I'm, I'm appreciative of that, but I don't at the moment, uh, I don't find it enjoyable to watch because it's not subtle in any way. So I can't obviously speak in any detail, but having seen all eight episodes, I can say that I, I believe that that subtlety builds through the series toward especially mm-hmm. toward the end, but like it only gets more interesting and complex mm-hmm. um, as the series goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, like Pam and Tommy's relationship is problematic because Tommy's a, a bit of a bit of a dullard and a bit of a douchebag, but he's also 
clearly very in love with her in a lot of in most of the show you know like mm-hmm. very caring it's a very interesting dynamic between them and uh yeah i mean it's it's the type of thing where i, I hate the idea of a miniseries as like one long movie but um and it's not that like i think it does a pretty good job of delineating uh you know episodes and at least like blocks of episodes uh within its narrative um, but it is definitely one that I think if you watch to the end, I, you'll be more rewarded than if you quit. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and honestly, um, as a total side note, Sebastian Stan and Seth Rogen are definitely actors you should seek out when they're, when they're doing stuff you, you wouldn't necessarily first picture them as, mm-hmm. um, this whole series was actually directed by Craig Gillespie, who you will recognize the name because last year he directed Cruella. And he's probably currently most famous for having directed I, Tanya. Uh, and Sebastian Stan was in I, Tanya as well. And he's also excellent in that. Right, I haven't seen that. And, um, I mean, if you want to see an excellent Seth uh, Rogen performance, just go watch uh, Steve Jobs with Michael Fassbender. He plays Steve Wozniak, and he is fantastic in that movie. Is that a good movie, though? It's a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Super underrated for its year. Uh, although I think Kate Winslet won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress for it. Um, so which one? This is not the Ashton Kutcher one, right? No, this is the one that was directed by Danny Boyle. And it's um, it's basically a three-act play with Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs and Kate Winslet as his like main advisor and um, Michael Stuhlbarg as one of the... Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, Andy Hertzfeld, who's a uh, famous early Apple engineer and uh seth rogan as steve wozniak how did i miss that why have i not seen that uh you definitely should it's it's a very talky drama but it's exactly the kind of talky drama that i love so ashton kutcher's ashton kutcher's movie is garbage do not watch it 2013 and this is steve jobs from 2015 yes okay it's excellent and uh uh jeff daniels is in it as um Scott, what the fuck is his name in real life? <laughs> he plays the guy who was the president of Apple when they when they first formed. Scully, I think his name was. I'm not sure. Um, and it's just interesting because what happens in this movie, and we're just going on a long tangent, but in the movie Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, it takes place in, th- it's a three-act play. The first act is um, the initial launch of the Mac. The second act is the initial launch of the Next. And the third act is the launch of the iMac. And it's just backstage at all three of those events. And Steve Jobs has conversations with the same half dozen people in each time frame. And it is excellent. Um, what's the next? I've never heard of that. Next was the computer company that Steve Jobs founded after he was ousted from Apple. I, okay. This in, is the, in the late 1990s, Apple purchased Next, uh, which uh, led to Steve Jobs' return and to a member of the board and eventually chief executive and next os which was called next step um eventually became mac os 10 what so where's next now is next completely gone yeah no they were subsumed into apple right they uh, apple didn't buy next for their like manufacturing apple bought next for for neck for their operating system they needed a new operating system and that's why they bought next huh i didn't know any of that that's interesting yeah it's actually a really interesting plot point because i don't believe that it's accurate um, but there's a whole, in the second act, when he's introducing the next cube, which was their sort of flagship computer, um, he's having a conversation with one of the people and it becomes clear that they, uh, he's only doing it so that Apple will buy them. <laughs> and I, I don't believe that's actually accurate, but it's really compelling in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's also a really interesting, see, so he has the same conversations with similar conversations with the same half dozen characters but one of those conversations is he has a young daughter uh who's played at different ages because she starts out at like five and at the end she's like 16 or 17 or something college age so 18 or 19 and uh it's a really heartfelt that whole through line of the movie is i find really really affecting so anyway you should watch steve jobs you should just watch steve jobs it's a great movie Okay. And with no distractions, because there's so much talking. Like, it's a very, it's, like, you know how we've talked before about how I love movies that feel like plays? Yeah. This is one of those. This is that. (laughs) Awesome. 
I will find it's not on any of the streaming services, hopefully. Uh, so I will find that from somewhere. I uh, I think I just bought it in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very, like that's, that's very much like Pam and Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> so I I will keep watching it because the I think it's only fair for me to give it a chance at the moment. I I'm not it's not connecting with me at all, but. Um, I know your wife, it's one of her favorite things of the year, right? Yeah, I mean, I obviously was given screeners and told to keep them to myself, so I watched it alone, and my wife was not involved. <laughs> um, but she's very enthusiastic about the show that she hasn't seen yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this idea. Like, I'm putting a screener on, leave! You're not allowed to watch! Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, she, it's... Um, like I say, I think, the, I think it... You know, it's not one long movie, but it is an eight-episode limited series with a definite beginning, middle, and end. And then the end of the first three episodes is, for all intents and purposes, just the end of the first act of the story. Mm-hmm. And while I think that's a fair place to judge in terms of like pacing and maybe a little bit tone, um, most of the interesting stuff in most stories happens in the second and third acts. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, I will give it a go. I think that's only fair. So what's coming up next week? What's on your list? Well, next week we have the same thing on our lists. We have both been accredited for the Slam Dance Independent Film Festival. Ooh. Uh, so I think next week we're just going to try and watch as many movies as we can and then talk about all of them, I think. Yeah. That seems like a good idea to me. Um, is Slam Dance like short films or are they all feature length? Uh, so it's strictly speaking independent film, like very, very independent film. Like I've seen two films and I think the one with the bigger budget had a budget of about $45. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of which I'm actually pretty excited to talk about when we do talk about it. Um, the first one I watched was called Honeycomb and it was created, written and directed by a 21 year old girl who lives on Cortez Island, which is like in between Vancouver Island and the mainland in BC, like it's a super small town and she just wrote a movie and got together with her friends and they made a movie and now it's in film festivals and uh, it's super rough around the edges and definitely has some problems, but she just did the thing the rest of us all fantasize about. She just went with her friends and made a movie and now she's a filmmaker and she's in festivals and it's, it's, it's really, it's hard not to admire it to be totally honest. Yeah, um, that's cool. I can't wait to get stuck in. Yeah, but it's, anyway, yeah, Slime Dance is almost is pretty much entirely a hundred percent indie. So there is short stuff as well, but there's a whole narrative feature selection and a documentary selection and uh, a number mm-hmm. of other things. So I think cool. for next week we should just try and watch as much as we can and then talk about what yeah. we think is cool. I'm just going through their selection now. It looks really interesting. All yeah, kinds of stuff. there's another one too. I was mentioning that Honeycomb movie, and there's another movie called. I think it's called Therapy Dogs. I don't have the listing in front of me, but that was cre- it's um, also created by a Canadian kid, and he's only like eighteen. And apparently, he like filmed it at school surreptitiously, like during the school year <laughs> with his friends. So, like I say, I don't know that any of these movies are going to be the ones that like break big, but they're all they all seem super mm-hmm. interesting, and it's the kind of festival you go to to see the people to that you're going to like are going to be famous later. You know, like yeah. the, it's exactly yeah, yeah, the yeah. kind of like I saw them when, yeah. you know, it's like going to watch minor league baseball and you see the people who are like two years later, you're like, oh, I saw that guy play. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's I think that's our next week. Cool. Awesome. Wells was on something. It's true. And he said that. I can't remember the quote, but he's talking about some winning and asking with a camera in their pocket. And we're sort of shuffling closer to that, aren't we? Yeah. Good. I look forward to that. Very nice. Are you watching anything else apart from Slam Dance? Are you anything you are able to talk about, or is it all super hush hush screeners? No, I mean, yeah, not really. Um, I, my the one thing I've been rewatching that I can't talk about is that I found out that the since Disney owns Fox now, they've put the entirety of a sitcom that I like called The League on Disney Plus, and uh, I've been rewatching that. It's uh, it's a funny show. Is it is it good? Uh, yes. Uh, a mutual friend of ours has been rewatching it as well, and mm-hmm. um, we've been remarking because it was made in the sort of late zeros to mid teens, and it's amazing how much like 
it's it's about it's basically about a group of friends who are in a fantasy football league together and they basically the whole show is basically them just like shit talking and making fun of one another and most of it's very funny and some of it even for only i think the show ended seven years ago and a lot of it is like incredibly homophobic (laughs) uh in a way that just would not fly even now this short amount of time later um, mm-hmm. but the sort of hook of it is that everyone who's in it is very funny and the show is only partially scripted. A lot of the banter and a lot of the ah. shit talking is all improvised where like the, the overall plot isn't, but a lot of the dialogue is improvised and it's a, uh, it's, it's a very mm-hmm. funny show and you don't need to know mm-hmm. about American hand egg to uh, appreciate it. I don't think, cause I, <laughs> I, I don't know anything about football and I still find it hilarious. Uh-huh. So well, that's excellent. I'll check that out. Yeah, as much as I hate to say it, Disney Plus has a lot of worthwhile stuff on it in Canada. Mm. I know it doesn't in the States, but uh, since we don't have Hulu, we get everything that Hulu would up here. Including Pam and Tommy, so that's a nice segue. <laughs> Coming hey. out on February 2nd. All right. <laughs> with, uh, and yeah, it debuts, Pam and Tommy debuts with three episodes, with the rest to follow weekly for a total of eight. Excellent. Yeah. So, before we head off into the sunset, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? I mean, just the same things that we say every week. Uh, this episode was not written, but is performed by both myself and Simon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, we're getting formal, formal closing credits. Indeed, like. and uh, produced by me, and I use that term incredibly um, <laughs> loosely. Uh, we come to you from the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish Nations. And if you liked what you've heard, uh, there's plenty of ways to support us. We have a Patreon and a Ko-fi, which you can find at awesomefriday.ca at the bottom of, at the sidebar of every post. Um, or if you like what you heard, uh, what would also help us immeasurably is if you could give us a subscribe or a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. Um, that is, uh, when I say immeasurable, that's not hyperbole. Those things help put us in front of more eyeballs. Uh, when people are browsing listings looking for other for their movie people and we would like to be your movie people so please do that if you can and if you don't um, that's also cool we're just very appreciative of everyone who's listening and we love you all we really do yay thank you guys so thank you for listening to this week we will see you in another seven days and until then have a good week bye bye